0: Since September, we've been doing a series on the Bible, and we kind of have chuckled about that and say, well, shouldn't every teaching series be about the Bible? <laughs> well, they are, but we wanted to talk specifically about why are we people of the Bible? Why are we people of the book? Why is it central to what we what we teach, what we believe, the way we live our lives? Specifically, we started and we asked that question, we said, is this the most important book in the world or not? Is this God's instructions to us or not? You may remember we put up a slide, this slide, and we said there's really only two choices when it comes to the Bible. The Bible is either a total waste of time because of what it says and what it directs us to and what it claims to be, or it is the very words of God. And of course, as you might imagine, we land in the The zone of, it's God's very words, right? That's what we have concluded. It's God's instructions to us. He's given us instructions on a couple things. One, of how to be right with him. How to have a right relationship with him. How to have salvation. That salvation comes by God's grace to us in the form of faith. It works its way out into repentance. Repentance. And it also gives us instructions on how to make best, the best decisions for this life. It is an instruction manual. And we've le- we learned as we walk through it that God's Best for us doesn't mean the most comfortable thing or the most culturally accepted thing. It means the right thing that is going to bear good fruit in our life. And so as we looked at that, we said, wow, that is amazing. And we, we looked at verses like this one from 1 Peter, and I wholeheartedly agree with these words where Peter says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the older I get, the more I read recognize myself yeah my flesh my body as strong as I think I am or as much youth as I think I might have had at one point is fading it is withering and that's true for all of us regardless of our age but the word of the Lord remains forever and then he reinforces what that word is he says it's the good news that was preached to you it is the word it is the scripture do you agree with this can I get an amen if you agree with this amen amen and if we agree, our lives should reflect this. Now, every book, every book that's worth anything—I don't know, maybe is, you, know, uh, uh, you know, something for dummies, you know, the whole for dummies series. Maybe not those, but any sort of good book, anything that has a story to it, has really five parts. Every good story has five parts, and God, thankfully, has given us not only an instruction manual. Like, Life for Dummies, or whatever we could call the Bible. It is an instruction manual, but it is a story, too. It's amazing. It's both of those things. And the Bible has the five parts that any other good story has. We have the setting, we have the conflict, we have the plot, and we have the resolution, and we have the characters, right? So in the Bible, the setting is really earth. Here, life on earth as we know it, that's the setting. The conflict is people are sinful, and there's this battle between good and evil going on in the world and the spiritual realm around us, The plot is really the question, how will God redeem us? How will God redeem the people? How's he going to do it? What's it going to happen? The resolution, of course, we know is that God wins in the process. God's going to win in the end as well. And then we get to the characters. And the characters are you and I, to some extent, but one of those things, every good story has one central character. It has a hero one figure who exceeds all the others in magnitude. The Bible speaks of this hero. The Bible does have a hero, and it speaks of this hero in many places and in many ways. Here's one of my favorite places it talks about it. Got this verse here Isaiah 9:6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, during our series this fall, we talked a little bit about prophecy. And we talked about prophecies of the Messiah. And at one point, we even looked at the math, for those who like math. And we saw that, hey, you know, in the Old Testament, there's about, they can identify about 48 different prophecies that point to this hero who's going to come and save the day. And when we looked at just eight of those, and we said, what are the chances that eight of those would be fulfilled in just one person on the face of the earth? And we went through all the math, and if you don't remember that, you could welcome to go back and listen to it, or I could walk you through it at some point, but we saw that the chances are one in 100 quadrillion that these things would come to pass in one person. And this here is not one of those prophecies of those eight, but it is one of those 48. This is from Isaiah. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. And remember, this was written 700 years B.C. 700 B.C., this was written, roughly. And what's my favorite part of this verse? The names I love these names, right? These are the coolest things they 're so amazing, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now, some of these names we look at some of these names right, and we go, okay, we, we might call each other some of these things right we might say oh you 're such a wonderful cook, <laughs> or that guy he is a, he is a mighty athlete, or uh, you say hey there 's my father." <laughs> You know, and then there's some, you know, some special people. We go, oh, he's a prince, or he was a counselor. But there's a couple terms in there that we can't use when we talk to each other. And we certainly would never speak to any of each other and say, oh, you fulfill all of these things, or you are any of these. These They're just sort of bits and pieces to each one of us. We would never do that unless that person was just one of those things that's listed here. And that's God who would never call anybody all of these things except God himself. And so what does this passage tell us? This passage we just looked at, this verse in Isaiah, it tells us that God was coming. God would be coming. He would be coming in the flesh. He would come as a child to be born. It's very specific. See, he wasn't saying, I'm going to show up as an angry agent of wrath. He didn't say, I'm going to show up as a cloud of spiritual energy and just cover the earth and make things nice. He said, no, I'm going to come in the form of a child, a person, a human. And he's going to be all of these things. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty unique. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Proverbs 30, it says this, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Well, yes, surely we know because we look at those first four questions. Who is ascended? Who is gathered? Who is wrapped up? Who is established? There's one answer. God himself. Surely you know his name. Yep, God. But that fifth question asks, what is the name of his son? What is the name of his child? Who is the name? What is the name of this son who would be born? What would his name be? We flash forward to the first century. John writes these words. This is a long passage. I love this, but it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was. In the beginning with God, all things were made through him, And without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Was he this one? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's from John chapter 1. And here we see the next chapter of this story begin to unfold. Who is the main character? Who is our hero? What is his name? John tells us here that the hero is the word. In Greek, that word is logos. To the Greek, the use of that word meant the governing power behind all things. To the Jew, that word just simply meant God. So can you see it? John takes this prophecy from Isaiah. A child would be born, and he connects it to a person. Who is the person? Who is this God born as a human? Who is the mighty God? John begins to point us towards Jesus. Okay, so anybody can say anything about anybody else, right? Oh, great. John said something about this guy, Jesus. He said that he was him. What What are you going to do? Anyone can say anything about anything, right? We live in the social media age. You can write whatever you want, and people can believe it or not. What are you going to do to prove it? If he is who he is, he is who John said he is, what are you going to do? What did he do? What sets him apart from the mere words? In John chapter 11, we get this story. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus, his friend. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming... and the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you who are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So we see here, it's not just mere words. It's not empty promises. It's not politics. It's very simple. There was a man named Lazarus, He died, and Jesus brought him back to life. And so this begs the question, who can raise the dead to life? Who can do that? Who can do that? The answer is there's none except the mighty God. Jesus shows us that he is mighty God. So John and the other apostles and the early Christians said Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus did these miracles to prove that he was the Messiah but what did Jesus say about himself? What did Jesus say about himself? In that last passage he's praying to the Father and talking about his relationship with the Father. Did Jesus ever validate and verify and confirm the claims that were made about him? In John chapter 10 verse 30 he says this, I and the Father are one. Now, if any of us said this about our own fathers, we think we were kind of odd, right? I was thinking about Jeremy, who was up here leading worship earlier, and we have a very unique and special situation in our church where our worship leader varies from week to week, and it's a father and a son. And Jeremy's dad, Dave, will sometimes be up here. I think he was up here last week, right? And Jeremy even referred to that, right? So here's Jeremy, and here's Dave. And you guys know Jeremy and Dave, and, and in a lot of ways we would look at them and say, yeah, they're, they're very similar. Right? They, they look alike naturally, as most fathers and sons have some things that look alike, features that look alike. And they have the same spirit, the same countenance. They have a lot of the same mannerisms. They, they laugh at the same jokes. They're, they're friends with us, right? They're part of the same church. And so, some ways, we have this, they're almost sort of interchangeable up here, right? I mean, not really. They're not, right? They're not really interchangeable. Now, in, and some of you guys don't even know, they even work together, they work in the same office. Right, they're so similar. They're probably the most similar father-son people I know. Right, and that's great. But if Jeremy stood up here and said, "I and my dad were one," we'd be like, "You're one mind." And he's like, "No, no, we're one." We'd be like, "Time for some new worship leaders." <laughs> right? He's crazy, right? You are crazy because you are not the same person. I'm not the same person as my father. I love my dad. I would love to be like my dad, but he and I are not one. None of us are one with our father. If I said that, or Jeremy or said that, or Dave said he and, and Jeremy were the one, we'd be like, yep, you're deeply disturbed. Because it's not true. This statement doesn't work for us as humans because all of us are individuals. I can't be you and you can't be me. The only place we can even get maybe a little bit close to this is marriage. It's the only place it can kind of come together for humans. But it works for God. Why? Because we know that God is one God in three persons. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've looked at this diagram before of the Trinity. That God is one. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And yet... The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. They are one, but they are distinct. And again, marriage for the human relationships is probably the best picture we get of this, where as two people we can be in a marriage relationship striving towards oneness. But we will never be one the way that God is one. So Jesus said, I and the Father are one. When he said that, he said, I am the everlasting Father. Jesus is everlasting Father, and only God himself could say this, and it'd be true. And Jesus said it. We look over at Romans chapter 10, where most of us are familiar with these verses. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we go back to that that passage in Isaiah, that prophecy. Why did the child need to be born? Said, unto you a child is born. Why? Why do we need it? Well it was simple. It was because that relationship between us, the relationship between me and God was broken. The relationship between you and God was broken. The relationship between each person on the face of the earth who has ever lived and God. It's broken. It was ruined by our own sinful choices. In Romans 3, it tells us that all have sinned, all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our own sinful choices ruined and broke a relationship with God. Now, in our own lives, when things are broken, when our relationships go off track, where do we turn? Where do we look for help? We go, something is off, something is wrong, something isn't working here. Where do I go for help? Well, if we're wise, we look towards others, we look towards people, we look towards a person, someone who can speak truth and grace into our situation, help get us back on track, to help restore us, if it's marriage, to help us get back into the rightness and pursuing oneness, if it's with a friend of how do how do I walk this out? Who are we looking for? When we have challenges in our life, in our marriage, with others, we go see a counselor. We go to a counselor. And so doesn't it make sense that when our relationship with God is broken, we need a counselor. We need a counselor to set things right, to point us in the right direction. And Jesus has done that. Jesus stepped in to make us right. He has stepped in to get us right with God himself. If I confess and I believe, I will be saved. Jesus is wonderful counselor. So here's another way of looking at that from Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Isn't it beautiful? not just peace to those who lived in first century Israel. Peace to those who are far off. We're far off. Some ways we're about as far off as we can be. A couple thousand years later, the other side of the planet. I'm so thankful for that. Jesus gives all people, in all places, at all times, that counsel we need to be made right with God. And to be right really just means what? To be at peace. It means to be at peace. The Apostle Paul, he describes it this way. He said, He has has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What does this tell us? What does this tell us about Jesus? It connects right back to Isaiah. He is there, he is the one, he is the child born, the firstborn, the son. Jesus is the leader. He is the ruler who brings us peace. Jesus is Prince of Peace. And praise God, he brings it even to us who are far off. Amen. So what happens when we put all this together? There's a passage in Hebrews where the author gives us this beautiful picture. He says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So who is the Son of God? Who is he? What name has he inherited? It says he inherited the name. What name has he inherited? How might we describe Jesus? we can go back to isaiah jesus is wonderful counselor he restores our broken relationship with god he is mighty god he raises the dead he is the force behind all things he is the everlasting father he is one with god he is god the word made flesh and lived as a human he is the prince of peace the preeminent ruler the leader, the one who brings us that peace. What is his name? His name is Jesus. As we go forward this month into December, we're going to be looking more at what Jesus is and who he is and what he means to us. But my encouragement to you here as we close today is that as you walk into this month of December, and if you're like me, you've got all kinds of things going on, Let's remember this name and who he is and that he is God made flesh, the child born to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus the name. Jesus is his name. God, as we look through all of these things prophesied there in Isaiah, we realize we need them all. We need a counselor. We need a mighty God. We need an everlasting father. We need a prince who brings us peace. And God, you put that all together. Not in in bits, in pieces, at different places, in different times. You didn't bring it in some sort of force that spreads over the earth or... Mystical things that we had to dissect and go search for. You brought it all in the form of one person. Jesus of Nazareth. Lord, we are blessed. We who are far off are blessed by what you've done. So Lord, as we walk into this month where there will be much going on about us. spins off of a celebration of the birth, of that birth of that child you sent. Lord, help us to remember his name and not forget it, the name of Jesus. Thank you for sending him to earth to die on the cross so that by faith by your grace we could be made right with you.